0: I think what you're trying to ask is, uh, why am I so insistent upon giving out to them that blackness, that black power, that black pushing them to identify with, uh, uh, uh black culture? I think that's what you're asking. It's, it's, I have no choice over it. In the first place, to me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. I mean, and I mean that in every, every sense, uh, outside and inside. And to me, we have a culture that uh, is surpassed by, 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 by no other civilization, but we don't know anything about it. So, again, I think I've said this before in this same interview, I think uh, at some time before, my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook To get more aware of themselves and where they came from And what they are into and what is already there And just to bring it out This is what compels me to compel them And I will do it by whatever means necessary
1: I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates And welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show We are the return of Intelligent Radio As we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning to all the intellectual outcasts out there listening. I have a couple of special guests on. I'm going to introduce them before we let the cat out the bag on this morning's discussion question. I have returning guest, Brother Adeline Gassana. Thank you, King, for being with us this morning. If you will say hello to the intellectual outcasts out there listening and give them a little bit of your background as we are uh, weaving into what you do best, which is documentary. Uh, uh, we've had, again, had you on the show many a times, but I'm glad to have you back. But if you will, King, let them know who you are?
2: Hello, everybody. Thank you again, my story, for this um, great platform. Love it. Love everything you're doing. Uh, my name is Adnan Kasana. As he pointed out to, um, I'm an independent documentary filmmaker. Um uh, been doing documentaries for well over a half a decade, um, 40, 30, 40 different titles. Um, and, You know, it's anything from social, political pieces, lifestyle pieces, fashion, um, docs, um, films, and all that kind of regard, and independent, at the independent level, as well as the uh, television, corporate television model. Um, And my latest documentary is um, entitled Bowlegs, Marvin Anderson Sr., and Atlanta Story. Uh, This is a biographical documentary and a living legend. And while we profiled the documentary of the life and work of, the Honorable Marvin Sr., we also tell the story of Atlanta, how Atlanta evolved from this Jim Crow town of the deep south to the international metropolitan uh, community that it is today. And uh, we had a long journey uh, with my partner, executive producer Marvin Erickson Jr. on this piece, and we went down the film festival circuit, um, the documentary made it to Delta Airlines, uh, six-month run, and now it's on VOD for the whole world to see, video on demand uh, for the whole world to see. So thank you again, my I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this conversation.
1: No, absolutely. And I'm not surprised a couple of our regular listeners have jumped on as well. So uh, for the regular listeners, let me highlight this real quick. We had the worst technical difficulties we ever have. I remember the first year when I was doing this seven years ago, Uh, I would have technical difficulty so much. Some of my listeners end up saying this, and I thought it was the most hilarious thing. They said, "Um, we're fine. Technical difficulty is just the character on the show. Like, I used to have them that much in the first year. So when they popped up the last three weeks, it's been weird. and had to reset the show. So it's good to see that some of them are realizing we're on another link or whatever, so the old link's not working. Uh, But with that said, uh, you highlighted and mentioned the executive producer of your documentary is actually on the line with us, and we are very fortunate to have in – Marvin Arrington, uh, Jr., if you will. So, if you will, King, thank you for being with us this morning. Sorry for you know the heat this morning. Thank you for g- giving the extra time so we can pull this off. But with that said, if you will introduce yourself, you are the Fulton County Commissioner, from what I understand. But in Revelations two. Um, not only that documentary, but the conversation where we go beyond MLK Day and, and talk about unsung heroes. And then to a degree, your father is that, which was the necessity for bringing real-life heroes to the table. So if you will, King, introduce yourself to the intellectual outcasts out there listening. Thank you for being with us.
3: No, thank you so much for having me. I'm Marvin Arrington, Jr. Uh, I am a Fulton County uh, commissioner but uh I am also a practicing attorney for the last twenty six years uh father of four beautiful daughters and uh filmmaker uh, and uh excited about uh being here today uh and uh excited about this new project boleg uh, uh which is a biographical documentary on my father uh and his contributions to the city of atlanta uh and as adeline said we we found we could not tell his story without also telling the story uh, of Atlanta.
1: Now, I love it. And so let me segue into the discussion question again, which is beyond MLK Day, how do we build upon Dr. King and other unsung heroes' legacies? Again, technical difficulties this morning, we were going to cover not only your father, as you said, Marvin Arrington Sr., we were hoping to talk about Herman J. Russell in the second hour, but we're going to knock out um again, how do we tell the story of Atlanta, which is uh the the well known world renowned metropolitan area that everyone knows and your father played a strong role, if not one of the biggest roles in that and in in, and so the beauty of you know, having you, Adeline, capture that type of story and I've seen the documentary twice, uh when you at one of your premieres and on Delta Airlines with that run. I happened to watch it on a trip from uh, Boston to Atlanta and so I loved it. It's an incredibly inspirational and and again, to connect the dots, we're gonna talk about some of what happened with Dr. King and move into the documentary, so just y'all just bear with me as we make shift this second hour show to pull this thing off. so I'm gonna play a cut a couple of cuts here, so if y'all will just kind of sit back and it'll make all make sense by the end of the show. So let me set this cut up that I again hope was hoping to play earlier, but we're gonna make this thing work. All right, here we go, let me pull this up. Before all the regular listeners out there, y'all know we we run a little smoother than it's typically, but we are making this thing work because it was this was too important of a um, show to not at least get it on the air. Uh, here we go. All right, so I want both of your responses to the cut you're about to hear. So one of this is Doctor King himself, and the second cut is. Actually, a build on from last week's show where we talk about it. So again, just take this in, and um, Mr. Arrington we'll start with you as, as in response to this cut. We'll be right back.
4: The last thing Dr. King ever said to me five days, as a matter of fact, before he was murdered, was he was at my home. He just finished a strategy meeting on the Poor People's Campaign, and he seemed quite agitated after what we thought was a very successful gathering and discussion. And he said to me, "I said, what's the what's the matter, Martin? You seem very agitated." He said, well, I am. but I've come upon a thought that I don't know how to deal with at this moment. I said, well, what is it? He said, we fought long for integration. It looks like we're going to get it. I think we get the laws. He said, but I'm afraid that I've come upon something I don't know quite what to do with. I'm afraid that we're integrating into a burning house. Five days before his death, uh, Martin was exploring this, con- this conversation
1: of integrating. He said, hey, I, I think we may have, integrated our people into a burning house. He says, here's a thought I don't know what to do with. So, you know, you can continue your thought and jump in on that as well, and we'll get everybody's, you know, thoughts on that as well. Go ahead, King.
2: Well, that's
4: a pretty interesting cut. I mean, in regards to the cut, you know, the question I would ask is, you know, going to, asking a little deeper to get a little more clarity, uh, did he mean whether the house was already on fire? Because there's layers to that, right? Is the house already on fire in, in, in regards to, the behavior that they're already exhibiting is that something that's already inflamed, or is bringing us into the house going to set the house ablaze? So that would be, you know, that that'd be kind of the clarity I'd be looking for because both are, are not the proper way to integrate, right? And getting back to my to my statement, mm-hmm. you know, again from an engineering perspective, you know, I, I often like. My experience with integrating anything, so, I, so I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Like when we look at processes, right, the process is always starts with the objective. What's the objective? It's always to better the outcome, to make the outcome of what you're trying to achieve more proficient, more efficient, more productive, a better outcome. You're trying to improve upon the outcome, which is society. So integration from an engineering standpoint is very important in starting there. So if you're going to take a process that's outside of a process and integrate it into a process, then those processes have to work cohesively to
0: mm. um,
4: to, to, to 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 get the outcome that you would want, or or maybe the outcome that you want isn't necessarily best for all of, <laughs> everybody for that person, right? Mm. But with that being said, if you're doing it with the right intention, which most businesses do, because we know businesses the, the, the objective is to increase the bottom line, the revenue, it's always money first, right? And so if we're trying to make more money by being more efficient, more productive, right, uh, 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 With you know, in, in that sense, then our integration objective is to make sure we take the, the thing that we're integrating into that process to get a better cohesive outcome. So all processes have to be working together, and they have to be working as one. And so, for if you want to apply that to the human experience, such as our experience, experience, we weren't integrated that way, right? We we were totally just thrown into a burning house, if you will, right? Going back to the clip, yes, we were integrated into a burning house. We got what we thought we wanted in terms of the what we saw in terms of the ability to be serviced at restaurants, the ability to ride the bus, the ability to, you know, to to, to do the things, but. In terms of how that system works with us, right, it was very detrimental to our ability to move forward in a therapeutic psychology kind of way. And so that continues to hold us back to this very day because as we pass those mindsets down, we continue to pass down the same mindset that we had even when we were integrating in the first place. And that's kind of what keeps us, in my opinion, and it's strictly my opinion, that's kind of what keeps us in the space that we're in, even though – if you just look at integration and in and in, in, in what we claim it to be, we get to participate, but we're participating in what type of system. Is it efficient? Is it productive? Does it help us? Does it move us forward? And you can argue yeah,
1: Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, Beyond MLK Day. How do we build upon Dr. King and other unsung heroes legacy to so just come off the MLK weekend um, throughout the country celebrations throughout here in Atlanta, if you will, My special guest this morning. Adeline kasana as well as Marvin Arrington, Jr. And so, again, just kind of speaking about, if you will, MLK's legacy. Uh, we talked about this last on last week's show on the question, just to get, get some clarity for both of you. That show was, did integration help or hurt African Americans? And again, you hear some of the the cut from MLK as well as a response to it. Businessman that was on the show with us, William Agnew. Uh, But in hearing that cut, it was the end where he says, hey, how do we participate? And so, what I wanted to highlight and segue to kind of start this off was to kind of hear your thoughts, if you will, Mr. Ayrton, on. Just that complete segue, obviously your father becoming, um, from what I understand, coming city council president in 1969, that's a year removed from the loss of Dr. King highlighting, hey, I may have integrated my people into a burning house. And so I would love to kind of just hear your thoughts. And, you know, you being a, a lawyer and a civil servant, you know, for the, County now similar just following the footsteps of your father like how do you hear that comment because like, we talked about last week we don't know if people are aware of it or understand what King's concerns and now we're living out that transition so what are your thoughts when you hear the, the thoughts from a um, William Agnew and Mr. Ayrton
3: So uh, that is very interesting uh, topic I, I think you know, as, as it relates to the burning house concept, uh, I guess I would think or say that I think the house was already on fire. Um, but, you know, it's either come in outside from the field or run into, you know, the, the, the field was on fire too. It's all, everything is all on fire. So, you know, um, I think nothing is perfect, right? And so we've got a government, we've got a system of government that works one way, uh, and just like people, that system of government is not perfect. But I think you still have to work within and outside of that government in order to get the government to make sure that it provides uh, for its people and for all of its people, right? Uh, And so uh, I don't know that democracy is, you know, uh, the only way. And, again, we know it's not a perfect way, but it is a form of government. Uh, It has worked. Uh, But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that, you know, people that made the laws didn't look like me, didn't look like you. Uh, And some of them were racist. Right. And so um, we've got laws on the books and things that were done by people.
5: And, I, you know, I
3: people I remember they were taking down all the statutes. And I'm like, taking down a statute is is a good symbolic move. But what about the, the laws that were written by those people? What are, you know, the people that were impacted? And so one of the things that I'm doing is Fulton County Commissioner. I established the reparations task force. Uh, and uh, over a year ago, and so we have them looking at Fulton County's role and what amount of money or what type of compensation uh, or form or what might a form of reparations look like. And so uh, I think part of it is just continuing the conversation, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I think we're, you know, we're continuing that legacy uh, by doing Bowleg's film, right? We're okay. telling that story. Martin Erickson, You're right. He was elect. He first took office in '69, but he was elected um, in, in November of 1968. Okay. Uh, and a after you, but you're absolutely right. After the assassination of Dr. King, and so at that time there was a big push, you know, after that for everyone to get involved and keep working in the civil rights movement was really able to shine because of that death and because of that stain on America, right? And so uh, he was able to take advantage and ride that wave into uh, City Hall, which at that time was called the Board of Aldermen. Uh, so he ran for it to be an alderman, uh, and that was four years before Maynard Jackson was elected. Uh, as mayor, and I believe two years before Maynard was elected as vice mayor. And so, um, you know, just have to look back and see. But, yes, I think by telling this story, we're continuing that legacy. And we've titled the documentary. Let me do
1: this, if you will. Let me do this, if you will, uh, Mr. Erritick is um again, we're gonna walk into that whatever, so I love everything that you're pointing out, and a big thing that you said that I appreciated the most was the work inside and out um of that government, if you will, and I think sometimes again, when we talk about how do we build upon Dr. King and unsung heroes such as your father's legacy, it's to have a in my opinion a a perspective that actually makes sense for The reality of where we are today and i think to a degree in my opinion sometimes that gets lost so the beauty of highlighting if you will your father's story is to hear a way that maybe some people one haven't thought about or for other civil servants who may want to follow in those footsteps what that really looks like how to do that in a conscious manner that really does carry on that legacy and here's the thing that i and i forgot to mention this and i'll jump to adeline with this but um uh, the other context of that of that comment to Harry Belafonte that Dr. King made was when he says well what do we do and, and I didn't play that part but Dr. King says become firemen like like I he, he and 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 to give more context for those who may not know anything about that cut what it was was Dr. King was realizing and he, and if you recall the cut he says it looks like we're going to get the laws because at the end of the day A lot of people don't recall the history or understand that with integrating it wasn't just simply to sit on the not to sit on the back of the bus. It wasn't simply just to be able to drink at the same water fountain. That wasn't really the goal. The ultimate goal was the protection of the laws, because even at that time, for those who highlight, um, in a sense, our success stories, whether it be the Black Wall Streets or the Wilmingtons of the world or the Rose, Rosewoods of the world or whatever, they were – unfortunately, as we mentioned on last week's show, that was the 1% to 2% of African Americans. And the unfortunate reality was even with them establishing some of their own things, which, again, we highlight – now we've learned to highlight those, those stories. The reality was it could all be taken away very easily because there was no equal protection of the law, despite them being on the books. I'm trying to just set up all of this context again for those who may not understand some of that history so that today makes sense. And so when you understand that the ultimate goal was – Equal protection of the law so that we could remain in business. It wasn't, again, to go just be able to drink water with whites, even though that was a residual. And now, as we pointed out last week, the story has been painted as if that was the goal. It wasn't the goal. It was the equal protection. So when you hear Harry Belafonte say, King say, hey, we're about to get the laws. We're going to get those. But I think we've integrated into a burning house. He was talking about the economics that didn't come with the movement so that was kind of a misstep that king was ready to take on that's hence the poor people's campaign he was assassinated before that point and so today's dialogue is, is about how to become those firemen marvin aaron senior became one of those firemen Adeline, again i gave a lot of context again just because i don't know who knows the history but your thoughts on you know in a sense Become becoming firemen. That's how we carry on the legacy, whether that's inside or outside the government, right? So your thoughts? Ken?
2: Yeah, no, no, absolutely, and, and 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 it's just that. Um, the I, I would uh, summa, uh, point out that maybe Harry Perfante may either in his retort back to MRK after the comment of you know I'm afraid we're we'll walking into a house that's burning. He will say, Well, what else choice do we have? As the commissioner pointed out. Everywhere is burning. We're, we're, coming, we're coming from burning fields into a burning house. So we have no choice but to think of ourselves as firemen and fire extinguishers. And kind of paralleling this to the Marvin Anderson senior story, which we highlighted in the documentary, um, early on, in, 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 even going a little bit before his, uh, him being elected to the Board of Aldermen, um, he himself was an instigationist. He integrated every University Law School. And part of what motivated and inspired him to even get into law and get into um, becoming a lawyer is simply exactly what you said, understanding constitutional rights, understanding the equality um, at the seams of our legal structures, understanding the judicial system. Those are the kind of inspiring things that Marvin Sr., a young Marvin Harrington Sr. saw and said, you know what, this is the only way we're going to do this. You know, um, Atlanta wasn't guaranteed to be this city that it ended up becoming. And so part of it, and, and, and especially being in the backdrop of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthplace and, and where he lived and was a mit, uh, pastor, and where he formed SCLC in his fight in civil rights, so I think it's it, you right. It's, it's 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 wholesome. It's all 360 look at this, and um, I, I, I think you use the term misstep on the economic aspect of it. I don't know if necessarily the misstep. I think these are all layered, um, nuanced. Um, approaches to change so the first step was to get civil rights to get um, equality for all on the books regardless of race, color, or creed and then the next step was to how do we tackle the economic inequality aspect So I don't, and the poor people's fight um, in Memphis was him taking that voyage and that step forward and he did other things even before that he went to Chicago with uh, his family, lived in the west side Chicago ghetto. So, L. McKay knew what the next mountain to climb was. So, the fight certainly wasn't finished in that regard. But the next, but it, it, this goes down to the broader question that you alluded to is, how do we continue this legacy? How do we continue to take the torch, the baton, if you will, of what L. McKay started, and how do we go forward? And hence, we get the generation of, uh, Mar- of Marvin Erickson Sr., um, the Maynard Jacksons, Andrew Youngs. These are the individuals that said, okay, We've done the civil rights fight. We were on the front lines. Marvin Tennessee himself during his days at Clark Atlanta University was part of the student movement, which in Atlanta was a very active movement, right? So the next step is, okay, we have to get to the next phase of this, and this is where the fighting extinguisher comes in, right, the uh, analogy. These are the individuals who are – we have to work with white folks. We have to work with the business folks. We have to work with the upper class. We have to work to not only integrate ourselves, um, into the system but living the kind of prosperous middle-class lifestyles that can be better for a generation later and so that's what I think the legacy is about it's taking that step forward and saying okay we got this done Do we check that box now the economic fight now the fight of equality across all sectors needs to be established and that's what I think this is about you know
1: not nah, fair enough. And I got uh, Brother Kevin out of South Carolina, one of our regular callers. I'm going to let him jump in here real quick. I'm going to play another cut again that just keeps moving this conversation forward. All right, Brother Kevin. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing this as a makeshift show because we weren't able to do our regular show. Uh, but I, I don't mind letting you jump in here. But it's probably a little quicker than normal um, just because I'm just doing an hour to at least capture the first hour. I was hoping to, in a sense. Take advantage of the civil servant politics in the first hour, and then move into the economics with um special guest Sonia Booker in the second hour. So just kind of highlighting what the attempt was, and just let you jump in here real quick. What's your thought, King?
6: I understand. Um, the next step is one of the most important things that King said, and I'm glad you got that gentleman that said he was over that Uh, well, he's part of the reparations task force that's in the lamp. That is the most important thing, because that was one of the most important things that King has ever said, is that we're coming to Washington to get our check. I, I was in a council meeting uh, this week here. Uh, I mean, in a meeting where we had counselors and stuff, friends of mine, and we got in a big, you know, argument about this. And I'm saying to myself, you see seeing all this gentrification going on around us, and we have the majority of black representatives and y'all sitting back allowing it to happen. But the problem is this. We don't have no money to stop it. See, We have to have money to stop all the gentrification that's going around, around all over the country because the same thing is happening all over the country. They've got to cut the check. We got that. We are not going to catch up. We're not going to do this. We're 200 and something years behind, if, you know, uh, you know, behind. We're going to have to get that. We, if we're if not talking about getting what it is due to us. We're never going to catch up. I mean, you just look around. I don't care what city you're in. Look, any black city you're in right now, and you seeing houses being thrown up, and they're not being thrown up by us. You're seeing businesses being thrown up, they're not being thrown up by us. Now, don't Atlanta is the last stronghold and that's
1: falling. Atlanta is no, the you. last stronghold. Flatness. Go ahead. No, thank you. Thank you for your three cents, yeah. King. No, again, I'm just letting you jump yeah. in real quick. We're gonna keep this thing moving. Uh appreciate you, Kevin, for that thought. Uh right, I'm gonna play this next cut again. I'm obviously doing it commercial free since we're doing what we're doing now and I'll take care of my sponsors in the next couple of weeks. Uh here we go. Let's play another cut. Feels weird not rocking my show in the in the in the right method. It's hard for me not to even highlight it. It feels weird. So give me a second here. All right, gotta find my cuts. Uh, see, I have all this set up when I had the show rec doing it regular. Now I gotta find them as we go. All right, here we go. Let's go.
6: My commercial breaks give
1: me time to find these things. <laughs> Pretty simple a lot more simpler than I'm doing there. Uh,
3: here we go. Maybe I don't have a cut.
6: All right, let's just do this cut right here.
1: Alright, I'm gonna jump to another cut. And like I said, when you when I'm just pulling it off, we're just pulling it off. Uh right, here we go. This is actually gonna just be the trailer bow legs. I had another cut I wanted to play before the Bow Legs trailer, but we'll go ahead and play it now.
3: Marvin Ellington Sr. was one of the founding fathers of of Atlanta, of modern Atlanta.
2: And Marvin taught fight.
6: He was one of the major players, the barrier breaker. He built one of the largest African-American firms here in the United States. And nobody gave him anything. He built it from scratch. At that time, there were no black law school students at Emory University.
5: Just think about the courage that it took to walk into a place where there had never been one like you. And knowing the resentment and the hatred that they must have felt. Atlanta was still a
6: segregated city, even though... Civil Rights uh, Act passed, the Voting Rights Act had passed. Which was probably the worst period in the land's history, sort of like a wall right across Peyton Road to avoid any ownership by black folks coming across Peyton Road. He was working with Leroy Johnson at one time when they got together with Lester Maddox and put together Muhammad Ali's first fight after retirement negotiations of a Marvin Arlington allow for Atlanta
1: to be the host of this first fight when Muhammad Ali fights Jerry Quarry
0: and
6: it was Black Atlanta, it was Marvin Arrington Black Atlanta that came out to support his management City Council. is what makes him legendary. He was destined to be the mayor of the city of Atlanta. Two big heavy hitters going at it. That was a nasty, dirty political race among black folks. And it was black folks against black folks. It was colorism. Maynard Jackson became part of the conversation. And he made a statement about Maynard that wasn't pleasant. And, and when Manny gets the microphone, it's all over. As judge, he cleared the courtroom of everyone but just young black men, and he had a classic martyr.
4: And when there was this backlash, I couldn't understand it. Anytime you give a mayor credit for Atlanta's place in America and the world, um, you have to think about uh, the person that organized the legislative side of that effort.
6: He ruled this chamber like mighty Zeus. In Olympus. And it was a chamber that we aspired to the to the highest for the least of these. And it is his example that made this an August mystical body of public service.
1: How Atlanta got to be the Atlanta that it is today. It's because of the blood, sweat, tears, sacrifice, and service of
4: political giants like Marvin Aronson Senior. Dirty,
3: dirty,
1: Welcome back to the Mister Dialogue Talk Show again. I am your host Montoya Smith, aka Black Socrates, for this special edition Mister Dialogue uh, Show. Beyond MLK, how do we build upon Dr. King and other unsung heroes' legacies? Our special guests are Adeline Gasana as well as Marvin Arrington Jr. As we hear more about Mister Bowlegs, the actual. Trailer from this amazing documentary, and again, not talking just about the documentary, if you will. I want—I think the context that we should, in my opinion, should—should should dialogue about is the perspective of how, uh, in my opinion, I would offer the majority of the generation sees the civil rights movement and coming off of it, how that's looked upon, and for the younger generation that, to a degree, can seem a long ago, if you will. And so, to a degree, um, again, Mr. Ayrton, you highlighted when you were talking earlier the idea of the work in and outside of government, and it's not a perfect system, and nor will any – I always highlight to people all the time. As a matter of fact, we just had this conversation last night um, with someone I was just saying, it doesn't matter the system. Humans are going to do what they're going to do. And so I think sometimes people lose sight of that and, and, and quite often look at the system as that in itself being the issue versus realizing the reality is regardless of the system, you you still have to figure out how to best work within that. And so I will highlight that unfortunately this many years later to a degree, I think people even look at the civil rights movement, Dr. King's approach to a degree as the only thing that people now seem to focus on often is in a sense just the politics, if you will, And now some people are, in a sense, they're cool on that because they see how politics is done now. And so I would offer there's a segment in our community that doesn't understand importance of your father, yourself going into law, the things we talked about earlier, the protections of the law, those proper steps. And so not only in knowing knowing the legacy and those steps, to me, can bring us home to things that actually matter because I would offer, if you will, Mr. Ayrton, you could speak to this, is that sometimes as a civil servant, if you will, I think sometimes a big part of the difficulty is getting the people you want to help to understand how to connect their lives to the role that you attempt to play. So if you could kind of speak to that because of how we think of that history now is only the politics came out and now people are starting to think the politics doesn't matter. I'm not saying everybody thinks that way, but there's a segment of that happening. So your thoughts to to a lot of what I just said, if you will, Mr. Ayrton.
3: Well, I think it goes back, you know, uh, to the point I made earlier that you highlighted, you know, working inside and out, right? Um, I don't think there's any one answer or solution to, to any problem or certainly not to every problem. And so I think we have to, you know, again, apply pressure from inside of the system, and apply pressure from outside of the system. Uh, we talked about reparations, and, you know, I saw an example in Evanston, Illinois, where they had come up and passed a resolution, uh, and I said, wow, well, I can do that right here in Fulton County. As a legislator for Fulton County, I can do the same thing. Uh, and, and and proud to say that this past Wednesday we just got $250,000 approved for re- to be able to continue the research and studying that is necessary to determine if any reparations are due and if so how much and what forms might those rep reparations take right there there may be you know monetary compensation there may be some other ways but what are the forms and then who would be entitled to it right and how how do you determine it so we've got to do a lot of research and going back looking at deeds there was property that was taken and you know again it's all about the as far as the legacy you know we have to tell these stories if we don't tell the stories then we lose the knowledge. We're destined to repeat the mistakes of the past.
0: And so
6: we
3: have to tell the stories of these people. And, you know, Marvin Arrington Sr. is one of those stories, but there are so many other people and stories that, that that need to be told. And, and so, you know, um, I think the way that we continue the legacy is by continuing to tell the story, continuing to do the work inside of government and outside. I don't, Again, I don't think you can just say, oh, well, I don't want to get in politics. No, well, you know, I'm in politics. I just got $250,000 allocated for Fulton County to continue studying reparations. It's going to allow us to hire three researchers to do research right. as to what property was taken and when was it taken right. and, you know, all of that good stuff. No, I love
1: so. it. I love it. I love it. And so – and so it's like, I, you know, for me, it's the work you just talked about that you're currently doing is an example that, again, highlighting the legacy and the work that's getting done now is all part of the context, right? So that's why I love the fact that you're even sharing that with us. And so I would like to highlight something that people can hear in this amazing in this amazing documentary, Mr. Bowlegs. I would like to highlight um, how y'all highlighted what he did with the Atlanta Zoo, right? I just want to I want to put that, the Atlanta Zoo thing, in context, talking about King's legacy. So, for me, it's quite amazing. As y'all said, he integrated the Emory Law School, kind of mentioned that very briefly. Mr. Ar- Mr. Sr. Ar- Ar- did that as a young man. But when he becomes the head of the council, if you will, and for those that don't know, and you'll hear more of this in the actual documentary, the Atlanta Zoo was kind of a, a stain on Atlanta or whatever. So think of this this young brother, Coming off the footsteps, as we just highlighted, of the civil rights movement wanting to be active in the actual, um, in 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 the legislation, if, if you will, legislation, if you will, he was wanting to be active. And of all the things coming from one of the very neighborhoods that was, in a sense, one of those poor neighborhoods that was, in a sense, trying to now integrate. And not necessarily the neighborhood itself, but just integrate into the opportunity to share in the American experience, which had been devoid, as we've already mentioned, due to the unfair law applications of laws already on the book that didn't always apply to us. So as the transitioning is happening, I can't imagine this, and I'm so glad that y'all pointed this out, but I can't imagine of all the things that were important that your father had the foresight to say, hey, if I go here and get in this civic position and bring up this zoo to where it becomes a world-renowned zoo versus being a stain on the city, that work over here will play dividends for my people within the politics. So I'm just kind of highlighting that that would seem of very little importance. All the other legislators had not thought to do it. He was the one that says, hey, we can't have an international city with this on our in this stain on our city and become an international city so it's like that foresight to go do spend a number of years working in this other area knowing it would actually pay dividends for his people is mind-blowing to me um Adeline, jump in on that and i'll go back to mr urs and after you
2: yes um and, and there's two things that you said i wanted to expound on, and i'm glad you brought it up Um one hand is the behind the scenes um folks what now the commission also alluded to at the end of the day, when we talk movements, when we talk change, when we talk the kind of restructuring of policy, of integration, you know, assimilation, all of that, it takes everybody in the front and in the back. And each one of them is just as important. I think Emma even alluded to this many times in his speeches, particularly one of which he, when he, he did his own eulogy. And um, where you talked about that, it's about serving. And service, service comes in different forms. And it also comes in different characters and likes. Not everybody's meant to be an orator. Not everybody's meant to be the face uh, of a movement. There's people who who are better suited in those positions, and it's others who work behind the scenes. And while Marvin Ayrton Sr. wasn't necessarily the person behind the scenes, you know, most of the time, all the time, he certainly was the person who was crafting legislation. Legos- legos- um and um, bringing the kind of structural policy um, for change, little by little, incrementally, and also sectors from housing, waterworks, and as you allude to, Atlanta Zoo. All these different kinds of things require um, a visionary. And a visionary is as important as anything in movements and change, but particularly at that moment, right? We're talking a yesteryear of Atlanta, A city on the rise, but hasn't arrived. You know, I think the moniker in the 60s and 70s was um, Atlanta was a a city too busy to hate. So when you have a visionary like Amari Anthony Sr. within these leadership um, positions, he's already thinking two, three steps down the road. And then by him creating that vision, then then his next step is to find out tactically how we get there. And that's where we talk about: rolling up your sleeves and just getting the job done. And that I think is the best next generational uh, continuance of the MLK legacy. Is who are we, and how how much potential do we have? How great can we be? How much farther can we go? And I think that's I think really the moniker of what drove Marvin as senior. And again, how does the vision come out of this? Um, he's a product of the ghetto. Um, grew up in, you know, born in Grady Hospital, grew up in Grady Homes housing projects. Um, he's in the midst of a of a wayward society, a society that didn't count him in. He wasn't supposed to make it, right? He was supposed to be just another statistic. But f- but for whatever reason, God, divine, and others is he g- grew up in the osmosis of civil rights. The great leaders, the Andrew Youngs, the City Vivians, the Joseph Lowries. And out of that came his leadership and the work he's end up, end up doing. So I think that's I where it, it. the inspiration and the aspiration comes, if anything. I
1: love it. I love it. Um, again, um, Mr. erton, you know, being his son, you follow right in his footsteps, if you will, with the understanding. And, again, I'm just highlighting the foresight to Filled up the zoo, Right. And many other examples throughout the uh, documentary where he had all this amazing foresight, of, you know, creating the premier law firm where he raised so many other lawyers to go into continue getting those protections of rights. You know, we get the civil rights passed. But now we got to have, you know, young lawyers who, you know, men and women who understand the law to ensure that we are getting that equal, equal protection. So not only did, you know, again, King and the way we get the civil rights he was in that next step. Let's ensure that we understand these laws and use them effectively for our own people because that was lost after the the enslavement period and for so many years. We couldn't get that equal protection. So again, that foresight is amazing. What made you follow in his footsteps because who you a law firm. Here you are, a civil servant. What it, What about that and that foresight is what I think we can learn from these legacies. Your thoughts, King.
3: Well, you know, uh I think, you know, my parents raised me uh in the spirit of service. You know, we were always taught uh, you know, service is the rent that you pay for living, right? And so that was instilled in me at a very young age. Uh, I saw my father serving, I saw my mother serving, uh and so it was uh you know, part of my DNA, if you will. And so I, you know, it's just so important that you serve others. Um and 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 in particular, you know, uh it's also about just standing up for yourself. I, I remember there was uh the Greens the Greensboro Four that started the sit ins in North Carolina A and T. Um, there was a documentary called February one. Uh, where they sat down at the counter after buying items in the store, sat down to be served, uh, and they were sitting there. A white lady approached them and said, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed of you. And they said, well, what's wrong, man? We're just trying to, you know, buy some food. She said, I'm ashamed it took you so long to stand up for yourself. And so that hit me real hard because, you know, it's about standing up. It's about having the vision to stand up. Uh, And talking about the other people, you know, Lonnie King was a student activist. He was the one that encouraged my father to run, right? And so, uh, you know, again, those untold stories, those untold heroes, Lonnie King is one of them. He's part of that story. And so – you know, and Leroy and, Johnson. And Leroy Johnson was one of my father's mentors. My father had, so imagine this. He he uh, completes law school in 67. He has to sue the state bar because no black people were had passed the state bar exam to be lawyers.
1: And he said wow. he just
3: couldn't believe he just couldn't believe that no black person could pass the bar. So he got with the ACLU and they sued the state bar of Georgia um, in order to allow Title to, be yeah. to be, become nine. lawyers yeah. in the state. And so um, it's just amazing when you look back at that history and, you know, the steps that had to been, be taken. But, you know, when you get political power, you can create economic power in the black community. That's what my dad and Maynard did. In the seventies, they got the money from the government and started making sure that it went to minority and female and disadvantaged businesses. And, and because you know, uh, you know, people got rich off of slave labor, but they also got rich off of this government money and these government contracts for millions of dollars. And so, and let me you know, jump on
1: that real quick. Let me jump on that because I want to really, really highlight what you're talking about right now, and allude to uh, another show where we, we um, had earlier this year where we said, how black is your black Friday? And I had on these two amazing um, entrepreneur, um, Shadona Reynolds and Tamika Peoples. And we were highlighting quite often what people miss. And, and again, just highlight what you're talking about right now. And we were highlighting what people understand, misunderstand sometimes about buying black is that it's this concept of, you know, we can do it ourselves. We can do it on our, on our own, Without realizing these major corporations that we all admire and sometimes even say, why do we give our money to the Walmarts and to these big companies or these big international brands or, or these, even these clothing brands that we put money into, quite, they don't quite understand that big corporations become scaled because of the money they got from the government. And so that's what our, the, 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 the connection of the dots. To have those sisters saying, we want to scale and put ourselves in the position to go after a lot of that government money. So I just really want people to understand that even the corporations that we admire do that. And so to not to think that we can get along and move and scale our businesses without that, that makes what we just heard that much more important. Marvin seeing is suing the bar to become a lawyer because without the equal protection in place – there is, as Mr. As Arrington Jr. just mentioned, politics begets the economics, and that is lost on a lot of people in our culture. So I'm glad that you're highlighting it. I'm just trying to connect the dots even more for those who try to take an extreme approach versus understanding it takes all of this. Go ahead, Mr. Arrington. I hope you understand why I wanted to just kind of connect a few dots within what you're saying because I, I like to give people more to think about even as they're hearing things. Go ahead, brother.
3: No, no problem at all. Um, and, And so then after suing the bar, becoming a lawyer, he goes down to Fulton County Superior Court to file papers on behalf of his clients, and the clerk will not accept those papers. He has to go back to Leroy Johnson, his mentor, who is a state senator, first black state senator elected since Reconstruction, And Leroy, State Senator Leroy Johnson has to walk with him down to the clerk's office and demand that they accept his filings as a lawyer. Wow. And so, you know, you not not only have to have the vision, but you also have to have the perseverance to not give up Uh, and, you know, to not take no for an answer and stand up for yourself. And so, um, you know, certainly I think he did that, but we all have to do that. And, And, again, as far as getting economic power, you know there are ways there, and and one of those ways again. There's no, no. I don't think there's any single answer to any problem exactly. again, right? Exactly. Uh, but one of those ways is through government contracts, uh, guaranteed government contracts. You know, we just spent a hundred million dollars on a library renovation. You know, and we have uh, we encourage our vendors at Fulton County to spend, you know, to have at a minimum thirty. To 35% minority participation, but it, we wound up having closer to 50% participation uh, throughout all of our vendors in Fulton County. And so uh, we, we have a billion dollar a year budget, $1.3 billion dollar a year budget this year. And, you know, we're encouraging um, minority vendors, female vendors, disadvantaged vendors. And so uh that is certainly one side of the economic side and but we've got to do more we can't just simply rely on politics
1: no absolutely and and and, and that's how dialogues happen right people have dialogues down in the extreme as if like you just said hey i'm telling you as a civil servant hey make sure you do this but don't just reply on, rely on politics and so i'm just highlighting that dialogue for anyone out there if you are against or saying politics don't matter. If you Again, if that's a, a thought that crosses your head, crosses your mind, you got a civil servant saying, hey, you can't just rely on that. There's more than one answer to all of this. And that's the, the type of dialogues that can lead to us properly carrying on a legacy. And as Adeline pointed out, everybody has their different role. And so if you don't operate within an extreme, okay, yeah, you don't become a civil servant like a Marvin Ayrton Jr. However, you don't skip out on your vote even though your role may be more grassroots or you may be building some type of business that takes up all your time. So when you understand that all spokes make the wheel strong, you don't have an either-or approach. And I think that's what we must understand ultimately about this legacy. And I would like to highlight in these last few minutes, if you will, uh, go turn it over to you, Adeline, just to give even more insight to the Mr. Bowleg documentary, which I really, really, truly love and encourage people to, to go see because it will inspire you personally in your own life. You will become a better person. And as I always highlight within the Mental Dialogue Community Club, if we can get the conversation inside your own head right, you will become better, and therefore the community becomes better. So I can't imagine anybody seeing this Mr. Bowleg's Documentary and not improving Their own lives, which ends up Helping our entire community Go ahead, King, thank you both for this Amazing documentary, I hope we've encouraged We will encourage some people to go check it out And definitely let them know how they can get their hands On it, and then I'll end with a slight Tribute to Mr. Marlton um, I'm sorry, Mr. Arrington For this show, but thank both of you For coming on, go ahead, Adeline, let them know about this documentary
2: yes um bowlegs um, documentary um is officially dropped um yesterday um, um friday january twentieth on three of our major- uh platforms amazon prime youtube um and apple t v so simply just go in search bowlegs b o legs and you get to watch the entire feature length documentary um and i'm glad you said that Matoya. part of part of it is you know, a lot of the feedback we get, um, and, and Marvin can add more to that. Is uh, the one thing they say is that adelaide I, I I learned so much more about Atlanta, and it was inspirational. You know, so when you watch a document like that, you really get in tune to this kind of aspiration of you know not just one individual in in this um, in the major southern city that has transformed in the last three four decades, but really just what 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 the 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 highlight of the Emma Kay legacy and what the next generation were up against, right? That it it, it could have easily been defeated, right? Emma Kay gets assassinated. Um, <laughs> you know, white people can uh, the, the, the 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 white majority power can you know entrench their power even more, and perhaps even start eroding some of those civil rights um, fissures that's already legislated and already on the books. But it was the very opposite of that, right? Um, in many ways, um, they took the baton and they understood what the next fight needed to be. And the next fight needed to be was representation in politics at the local level. And that's the one thing we also we highlight the importance, too, is what mm-hmm. local elections and local politics really means for a growing community, right? Um, again, the one thing that, if we get anything out of this, is that Atlanta wasn't guaranteed. <laughs> you know, that's very... I think that's one of the most important things to do is that to understand is that as the '80s and '90s comes into fruition, up until the time we get the Olympics um, in, in, into um, Atlanta in 1996, this city wasn't guaranteed to be that. That's real. You know, the epicenter. You know, and even what it is today, the Hollywood of the South. It took these individuals, these visionaries, brick by brick, layer by layer, step by step, to get us there. And so. We hope that this document can continue to inspire, and this is uh the commission alluded to This a lot of these Atlanta stories, particularly Georgia stories uh, you know in general and even the African American stories that need to still be highlighted spe- specifically here city Vivian story, joseph Lowry, Lonnie king, leroy johnson uh you know all of these forces that came together at a particular time and added their imprint in for for positive change.
1: Now again, thank both of you um, for making this time for this for this show. We're gonna leave it off. Uh, just some more words about Marvin Ervin Sr. Again, somebody that you should know. Go find Mr. Bowlegs, uh, Mr. Ervin Jr. as a special guest. Um, if you can give me a one last liner, again, I just wanted to really highlight people connecting the dot of where connect the dots of where and how we can continue to the legacy, as you said, not only to tell these stories but to Be aware of using all measures to move us forward and not take for granted, as I mentioned on last week's show, um, in the 1940s, I would have had to step off the sidewalk if a white woman came down the sidewalk or go to jail. Like we take these everyday things for granted, not realizing what the, the, the unsung heroes were able to pull off for us as well. So one last thought from you and I'll play this cut to end the show.
3: Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you know, I just think we just have to be mindful, uh, again, of service. I think it all boils down to service uh, and serving others, serving your community. And, you know, I think that is the real legacy uh, that Dr. King, of, of my father, Marvin Arrington Sr., Bolegs, uh, and of uh, the Civil Rights Movement. And it, here's the one thing I always say. No one can help everyone, but everyone can help someone. I love it. And if everyone helps someone, then we'll be in a much better place.
1: Now, I love it. Thank y'all again. Salute y'all for making this time for us, and we'll get this uploaded and shared with people. Thank y'all very much. See y'all next Saturday. Hopefully, we'll have our technical difficulties worked out and pull off our full two hour show. All I ask is that you think. Thank you.
5: Marvin Stevens Arrington, Sr. made an unforgettable mark on the city of Atlanta. He was elected to the Atlanta Board of Aldermen in 1969. The name of that legislative body was changed to the Atlanta City Council in 1974. Arrington served as council president for 17 years. Among many other important causes, Arrington fought diligently to address issues of discrimination and led the charge to require the recording of all standing committee meetings and city council meetings. He also courageously appointed a woman to chair the finance committee. After stepping down from the council, his service to the city continued. In 2002, Governor Roy Barnes appointed Arrington to become Fulton County Superior Court Judge, where he served for 10 years before retiring. Arrington's dedication and commitment to serve would not go unnoticed. In 2019, the Atlanta City Council voted unanimously to rename the council chamber in his honor. I am Atlanta City Council President Felicia Moore. The legacy lives.